Alright, get your eyes on this passage of Scripture here. We're going to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 of 1 John. And then we'll dive into it, okay? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can go to it together as a church right now. God, I pray that you would help. Open our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. God, help us to see clearly. God, we know because you tell us in, in your word. That all by, our, all by ourselves we're blinded. We can't see. We don't have hearts to receive. But God, you're the powerful one that gives eyes to see and opens blind eyes. That gives new hearts to receive. You do that, God. This is your work. And God, as we talk about these things from your word, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Lord, I pray for... The born-again believer here, that you would encourage their soul, that their love for you would increase, that their vision of you, God, would heighten closer and closer to that reality that you are incomprehensibly glorious. God, I pray that they would see. God, I pray that you'd open believers' eyes here to the work that you've done in their souls, the work that you've done in their heart, the powerful and mighty work of regeneration. I pray you'd help them see and be encouraged. God, I pray for any here that, that may not know you, Lord. God, I pray for those that are on a path to destruction, Lord. God, I pray that they would hear these words, His words from you, not His words from a man, but words from you, God, because you said that you spoke these words. That these are breathed out by you. I pray that they would hear you addressing them today, Lord. And God, as we talk about this work of regeneration, this work of the new birth that you accomplished, that you would do it in our midst this morning, Lord. You'd save souls this morning. God, all I, know, all I know to do is to cling closely to your word. To explain it as it is, God, I pray that you, by your spirit, all across this room, would be doing your work, the work that you do, the deep work and the glorious work that you do. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me start by just kind of 
I'm going to give you a summary of what you have on that sheet, on that study guide there. And just kind of give you a summary of uh, where we're going, what's going on in these verses of Scripture. Okay, so what's happening here is we come through 1 John. We've seen three tests. Tests of true conversion get laid out before us again and again and again. And what you see in this passage of Scripture is those three tests of true salvation, those tests of true conversion get intermingled as we get closer and closer to the end of this epistle. So he begins to, to take those three tests and he just brings them together into one conglomeration. So you have the, the doctrinal test that's, that's been talked about in this letter, right? That those who are truly converted, they believe right things about Jesus. They see right things about Christ. That's the doctrinal test. And, and the, the, the love test the love test of those who that are, that are truly converted. They love the brethren. They love the church of Jesus Christ. This is what God does in people that are truly converted. And the third test is the obedience test. That those who are truly converted, they gain a heart to obey God. They gain a heart for God's word and a heart to want to obey His word. And what we see in this passage is we see those three tests just get intermingled together. Right here. So let me show you that. Let's look a little bit slower. Let's gaze at this a little bit more slowly at verses 1 through 3. I want you to look for these tests being intermingled together here. Okay, look at verse 1. First we have the doctrinal test. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we're talking about is somebody or is somebody not born of God. Well, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So what we're talking about here, if we take this, this little phrase and we, we put it up next to all the other places where the doctrinal test has been talked about in 1 John, what we see is we're not just talking about a verbal agreement that yes, Jesus is Christ. I intellectually check that off the list. I agree with that. But we're talking about faith in that one as the Christ. Believe Jesus is the Christ. And what's wrapped up in this phrase, Jesus is the Christ, is, is, is defined for us by the rest of 1 John. That there are false teachers coming, coming amongst these believers that John's writing to. And these false teachers are saying false things about Jesus. Especially around Jesus' divinity and humanity. He is fully man and yet He is fully God. This is who Christ is. And here comes these false teachers saying false things about Him. And so He's laying out a contrast. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we're talking about those who believe right things about Christ. You believe false things, heretical things about Jesus. You are not born of God. So it's the doctrinal test. And then watch how it flows right into the, right into the love test. Still in verse 1. And everyone who loves Him who begot... That's the Father, as the ESV says. Everyone who loves the Father also loves Him who is begotten of Him. So He who loves the Father also loves the kids. He who loves the Father also loves the other ones that are born of God. So don't you love this? Those who believe in the Christ are those that are born of God. So you're born of God into, into this where you're born again, born of the Spirit. Born into the family of God, you are a child, a son or a daughter of God. He is your father. And he just assumes that those born in this world, like a child loves his father, they love the father. And he says that all those who love the father love the kids. Those who love the father love those who are born of the father. Those who are truly born again love the church. 
So that's the second test. You keep going with that test, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. So again, we have that, that love test, loving the children of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So now we're moving into this obedience test when we love God and keep His commandments. And I love how, you know, we're used to it saying, by this we know we love God when we love the church. That's what we've seen throughout the letter. By this we know we love God when we obey God or love the church. Does that make sense? But right here it almost seems flipped. It says, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And what we're seeing is these things just being intermingled, these tests being so intermingled that this is what God does in a converse life. He does these things in His life. And keep going in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So this is what we're talking about. A true convert has been given a new heart, a heart that wants to obey the commandments of God. And in fact, it's not obedience like pulling teeth. It's obedience that's not burdensome. It's not heavy. It's not, man, I wish I didn't have to obey God, but I should. It's I want to obey God because I love my father. This is what happens in someone who's truly converted. So what you see is this intermingling of these tests. This is what God does. In the life of someone who is, as it phrases, phrases it here, born of God. One who is truly converted. John Stott says it like this. John, the, the writer John. John is at pains to show the essential unity of his threefold thesis. He has not chosen three tests arbitrarily or at random and stuck them together artificially. On the contrary, he shows... That they are so closely woven together into a single coherent fabric that it's difficult to unpick and disentangle the threads. So this is like these first three verses. It's like these first three verses in 1 John 5. It's, it's like a summary. A summary of what true conversion looks like. It affects your eyes so that you see truly about Christ. It affects your relationships. You gain a heart to love the church. And it affects your heart as you have a heart for God's word and to obey God's word. And that's what you see on your study together. You see the new birth, new eyes, new relationships, and new heart. Okay, so think about it like this. One who is born of God. That's what it says here. Born of God in verse 1. Born of God in verse 4. So one who is born of God passes the doctrinal test. Why? Because God gives them new eyes, new sight to see Christ for who He truly is. And one born of God passes the love test because God gives them these new relationships and a desire to love the church. And one born of God passes the obedience test because God gives them a new heart. Okay? So, here's somebody in verses 1 through 3. Here's somebody truly converted. Here's somebody truly born of God. This is amazing, okay? The work of the Almighty to, to rebirth people, a new birth in this world. So there it is. But wait a minute. They don't live in heaven. We who are born again. Anybody here who's born again, you don't live in heaven right now. You still live in this old dark, sinful, sin-soaked earth. You still live in this world. So can someone born of God be sustained in this dark world? Can someone born of God 
survive and persevere in this dark and sinful and despicable world? Can that happen? And you get to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, and it says, Whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. So as you get to verse 4 and 5, I want you to notice this. Let's keep looking at this slow. I want you to notice the emphasis on overcoming the world. Conquering. That's the word. Conquering. Or victory over this world. I want you to just notice this repetition. Overcome the world. Overcome the world. Listen to verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see that emphasis again and again. And this is not new to 1 John. In 1 John 2.14 we saw the same thing. He says, it says, the word of God abides in you and you overcome the world. We see the same thing in James 4, verse, uh, verse 4 and 5 right there where it says, We overcome to the Antichrist of here, but you are overcoming them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So this is the idea of overcoming. So when you take this passage, these five verses, here's what you have. Verse 1, 2, and 3 answer the question, are you born of God? And verses 4 and 5 describe the glory of what it means to be born of God. You are world conquerors. Verses 1 through 3 describe the new birth. I want you to notice that it doesn't tell you to do anything right there. That stands out to me that it doesn't tell you to do anything in these verses. He's just describing you the work of God in the soul of man when he's born again. He's just describing to you, putting it before you. And then he's saying, and here's this born again person's relation to the world. And that's verse 4 and 5. And so here you are, verse 1 through 3, you have new eyes, new relationships, new heart because you, are, you have experienced the new birth. That has happened to you. Well, what can mess this up? What could turn your eyes away and defile your eyes? What could rip apart these relationships? What could do that? Or what, could, what could defile your heart from obedience to God? The world, right? With all its lust and its temptations and its ruler who is Satan. The world could do this. And then you get to verse 4 and 5. And it says he's overcome the world. Those who are born of God have overcome the world. That's glorious. And so this passage plainly comes against, it just very clearly comes against this defeatist mindset of the Christian life that I'm just defeated by sin and defeated by Satan until Christ returns. It just obliterates that idea. And rather it says, you conquer the world. I think some of us here, we need to quit letting Satan lie to us about that. Amen? They quit letting Satan lie to us about this is a defeatist Christian life. That's not what is described in these verses. One born of God, mighty work of God, who overcomes in the midst of this dark world. We've got to drive that out of our minds. It's a lie from Satan. God has done a mighty work that frees us from sin and from Satan and from this world. And we're going to talk about that. So let's start with the new birth. So you see it in verse 1 and 4, right? Verse 1 and 4, find those words. It says, born of God. Born of God. So think about the new birth with me for a minute, okay? Just think about the new birth. 
This is an amazing miracle. If you've never heard about this new birth, this is an amazing miracle that happens to every believer. John 3.3 says this. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, right? And he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is an amazing miracle that happens to every single believer. It's glorious and yet it's mysterious like the wind. That's what he said in John 3. He said, everybody hears the sound of the wind, but nobody knows where it comes from or where it goes. So you see it, you see it at work in your life. You hear the sound of the wind. The, the work of the Spirit of God to, to give new birth to a person in this world. You see the work of it, but man, it's mysterious. How does God do such a glorious thing? It's the new birth. It's the idea of a dead person being brought to life like in Ephesians chapter 2. Can you imagine that? Here's somebody dead. Lazarus, dead. Come forth. He comes out of the grave. The dead man's heart's beating again. The dead man could feel nothing. Now he feels everything. The dead man could not see. Now he can see. This is glorious. This is, you were blind. And your eyes have been opened to see. This is what the new birth is talking about. This is a new spiritual heartbeat. Because you have a new heart. You have a spiritual pulse now. You didn't have it before. But now you have a new heart. This is the idea of the new birth. Now people call this. Or have called this. It says it in Titus chapter 3. It calls it regeneration. So if you hear me say that word regeneration. I'm talking about the same thing. The new birth. The regeneration. It means a new beginning. Or regeneration. A, a new creation. A new creation. When somebody's saved, it's not that their old man just gets better. It's that the old man is put away and made a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's miraculous. That's amazing. Charles Leiter, uh, in his book, Justification and Regeneration, he, he tried to help explain it something like this. He speaks about a class that he had in college. And in this class, there's just a small amount of people, you know, four or five people in a higher level class. And he shows up at this class, and what happens is, is the first day that he's there, the teacher, the teacher of this class, the professor of this class, looks at him and says, everybody here has an A. You have an A already. Now let's settle down and enjoy the material. And that's unique, right? Now let me explain how, what that has to do with regeneration. Let me get you to think through this for a minute. So he says, you have an A. Settle down and enjoy the material. Now, <clears throat> what do most... If you were going to compare a classroom setting to walking after God, this is the way you have to normally think of it. Because this is what most of the world is doing. Either the world could care less about getting an A at the end of the, at the, end of the class, or they are working their tails off. i got to work, work, work so I can get an A. But if you apply that to, to God, if you apply that to being reconciled to God, and you work, work, work to get an A, it will not work and you'll go to hell forever. You don't have enough works. Your works are not good enough. They never will be. But what this professor said is you have an A from the very beginning. Now settle down and enjoy the material. And that's a picture of what we call justification. That those who have faith in Christ at the very beginning of their walk with God. God says justified. You don't work for that. Justified. And that's the picture of that. That you're given an A at the beginning of the class. But then here's the question that comes up. What do you think many people would do? And maybe what happened with that professor, I don't know. What do you think many people do if you get an A? If you know you have a guaranteed A at the beginning of the class, then what happens to your attendance? Slacks off. What happens to your study of the material? 
slacks off, right? And so here's the picture of regeneration. Not only does God in our lives, not only does He justify and give us an A at the beginning of the course through faith in Jesus Christ, but He regenerates us. He, he gives us the new birth. We are born again so that not only do we get the A, but we love the material. And we want to study it. And we want to know more. And we dig in and we love being there. Do you get that picture? And these things always happen together. There's no one justified who's not regenerated. There's no one regenerated who's not justified. This is the work of God in salvation. And there's lots of confusion about the new birth. Here's some, I want to mention to you just some false statements. Okay, I'm going to read these to you. Some false statements about the new birth. I want you to see that there's some confusion around this. And I don't want us to be confused, okay? This comes from a, a, a Catholic uh, catechism. Listen to this. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life. Through baptism, we are freed from sin. And listen to it. And reborn as sons of God. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration. But that doesn't sound quite so glorious, does it? What is, what is regeneration according to this catechism? It's, it's right here. Somebody gets baptized. There it was. They were regenerated. That's just what happened. They were just born again when that happened. Doesn't sound glorious, does it? What sounds glorious is when you think about Lydia... In Acts chapter 16. And there she is minding her own business. And suddenly she hears the gospel booming from the mouth of the apostle Paul. And it says God opens her heart. And all of a sudden she can see. And she sees Jesus. And she sees her sin. And her heart's changed. And she turns to Christ. And she's saved. That's glorious. That's not Lydia going and getting baptized. And then all of a sudden because of that she's regenerated. Let me read one that's a little bit closer to home. This is from uh, Rick Warren, uh, Purpose Driven Life. Listen to this. Real life, hear it, real life, real life begins by committing yourself completely to Jesus Christ. If you are not sure you have done this, all you need to do is receive and believe. Bow your head and quietly whisper the prayer that will change your eternity. Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you. Go ahead. If you sincerely meant that prayer, congratulations, welcome to the family of God. Do you see the pieces that seem to be missing about regeneration and the work of the new birth and the work that God does? Let me give you a glorious biblical description of the new birth. New birth. This is in Ezekiel chapter 26. Listen to Ezekiel chapter, excuse me, chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to start in verse 25. Glorious biblical description of the new birth. Hear it out. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Did you hear that? Glorious description where God takes somebody and he gives them a new heart. He takes out the heart of stone. Because that's what we are without Christ Jesus. That's what we are before the new birth. We have a heart of stone. 
It's like going up and pitching a statue made of stone. It does nothing. It feels nothing. But you go to the strongest man and you pinch down your fingers on the back of his arm and he feels it and he responds. That's the heart of flesh. You respond to the things of God. You respond to his word. There's life. There's a pulse there. This is the work that God does in the regeneration. When did this happen to you? Think about that for a minute. When did this happen to you? When you were born again. When you were that heart of stone, it felt nothing towards God, it was ripped out and you were given a heart of flesh. When did this happen to you? 2 Corinthians 5.17 is another place. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, All those who are in Christ Jesus, it says the old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. It says anyone in Christ, anyone in Christ is a new creation. Think about the miracle of the new birth for just a minute. A new creation. Justification is a, it's a declaration about you. When you put your faith in Christ, the Almighty made a declaration. Righteous. But regeneration is different. And it is a creative act of God. You're not the same person. You are new creation. New creature in Christ Jesus. This, what this means is that salvation... It's not just the, somebody's on the bad path and all of a sudden they decide I want to get over and move on the good, I want to be on the good path now. That's not salvation. Salvation is an act of God that transforms someone into a new creation. In other words, when you're a new creation, stuff changes. Born again. Now, one more thing I want to mention about confusion about this. There's confusion all around us about the new birth. You have a lot of these, um, I know these Christian research things that have, they do research and they give you statistics, you know, like born again Christians do this and the world does this and you have stuff like that, like the Barna group, things along those lines. Let me just give you a phrase out of one of those st statistics that are given, okay? Listen to this. <clears throat> born again Christians, you hear that? Born again Christians. Just as likely to divorce as are non-Christians. Now I see what they're trying to say, right? They're trying to expose this idea that, hey, something ain't right in our churches here in America. What's going on here? But I wish they would take that phrase, born again, out of it and not defile that word because that's different than what God's word says. That just said, born again Christians look just like the world, no different. And yet the Bible says, no, they look absolutely different. They look absolutely different. In fact, they're different because they are born again. The miracle of the new creation has been wrought in them. Let me give you some other places in 1 John very quickly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. Listen to how John speaks about it. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. You see, being born of God affects, it, affects your righteousness. It affects your obedience. Look down at chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. We've already talked about the verse. Obviously, what we're talking about there is continuing in sin. Those born of God do not continue on in sin. It changes them. Verse 14. We know that we pass from, from death to life. That's born again, regeneration. We know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. It affects their relationships with the people of God. 
Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It affects your love. Chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. You know, we could talk more about this. We'll come to that verse soon. But what I'm getting at is there is a change here that happens. When you're born of God, when you experience a new birth, you're not the same. Okay, so let's dig a little bit tighter into that. Um, when you're born again, you're given, as it says there in your study, you new eyes, new relationships, and a new heart. So let's talk about the new eyes for just a minute. Like I said, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You see, there's people all around these people. If you're reading the context of this letter, there's people all around them. They're seeing false things about Jesus. They're agreeing to false things about Jesus. It's a trap. False teachers have come. They offered up another Jesus, which is not the Jesus that the apostles testified to. And they were led astray and they're headed to hell forever. But when you're born again, you're given new Eyes to see Christ. New eyes to see truth about Jesus. To see sound doctrine. Your eyes are open. Now having your eyes open to see these things about Christ is very important. This, this is what, remember in Mark chapter 8, this is what Jesus said, right? He looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And from Peter, from his heart, speaks, this is who you are. And he speaks the truth about Christ. He had not been led astray. He speaks the truth about Him. And he says, my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. This is a work of God that's opened your eyes. That you see the truth about who I am. And so here are these people in the midst of these traps. Just like us today. There's traps all around you to pull away your eyes after a Christ that is not the true Christ. But here's a glorious reality. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They do not hear the voice of a stranger. And they don't follow the strangers. And this is because God's giving you new eyes. Look, look at 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Considering these new eyes, did you know you were blind? So many of my brothers and sisters here who have been born of God, did you know you were blind? This is not, and this is not normal blindness. This is the blindness of a dead man. The blindness of a dead woman. You could see nothing. And look right here in verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, as you can't see, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the God of this age, has saved Whose mind Satan has blinded. Who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. Should shine on them. Blinded. All of us. Prior to the new birth. Look at verse 6. For it is the God who commands light to shine out of darkness. Who is shown in your hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Here we are blinded. We cannot see Christ. Yes, we might know facts about Him, but the blindness is not blindness to facts. People who are not born again can understand facts. Little facts about Jesus. Things that they know. Little bits of knowledge about Jesus. Lost people can get that. 
But they can't see the glory. They can't see the beauty. And what it says here is like light shining out of darkness. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You see him. That's what's happened to you. Is that not glorious? Can you remember when that happened to you? When Jesus was just facts on a page. That's all he was. And then all of a sudden now, he's beautiful. I see him. In fact, I want him. I want to know him. I want to be with him. It's not just do a couple things so you don't go to hell and punish forever. But I want to spend eternity with Christ. That's your eyes, your spiritual eyes being open. This is more glorious than, than when Jesus walked on the earth and he healed people of their physical blindness. More glorious than that. I read about that this week. I was in John chapter 9 this week. And I'm reading through John chapter 9. You've got this guy who was born blind. Can you imagine that? He's never seen anything. He does not know the, the, the look of his father's face. He can't see it. He hears things, but he doesn't know what they look like. The colors make no sense to him. He cannot see. And suddenly Jesus comes and opens his eyes. Can you imagine the glory of that? I see my father's face. I see the blue sky. I see those green trees. I understand what it means to see. I see it. I see it. And yet the new birth is more glorious than that. The new birth is about Christ. I can't see Jesus. I understand facts about him. I understand what some people say about him. But man, I see his beauty now. I understand him now. And this is the new birth when you're given eyes to see Alright, so new birth get eyes to see, also new relationships. Look at, uh, keep going in verse 1. I'm going to do it in the, in the ESV. And everyone who loves the Father, everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of Him. Whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. So you got these new relationships. Now this is glorious, right? You went straight from born of God to you have a father whom you love. Whom you love. God, who was your greatest enemy. Did you know that? He's your greatest enemy because of your sin. You deserve nothing but his wrath. Me either. This is where we're at. And all of a sudden your greatest enemy becomes your greatest advocate. Even your father. I see how my children look at me. And I sure enough see how I think about my children and I adore them and I love them. You just went in the new birth from enemies of God to in His family as His children. That's glorious. 1 John 3, 1. What manner of love has been lavished on us that we should be called children of God? Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, There's been a relationship change. But not only is your father now creator God, king of glory, supreme ruler of all. Not only is he your father, but you've been brought into a family of brothers and sisters. It says that those who love the father, they love those who are born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. So this this is amazing, right? God brings us into this place, born again, to where now we have brothers and sisters, and not only that, but God gives us a heart to love them, to desire to, to help them, to want to be with them. God gives us that. Now I want to say this real quick. We've seen this all the way through 1 John, right? That you can't separate love for God 
or salvation and love for the church. You can't do that. Like, it doesn't even make sense when you read 1 John. You can't separate love for God and love for the people of God. They go hand in hand. They go together because in the new birth, you're given a heart for both. Love for God, love for the church. You're given a heart for both in the new birth. Therefore, you can't separate that. You can't do that. And so as you think about this test of loving the brethren, those born again love the brethren. Those who pass from death to life love the brethren. When you think about that test, one thing we see from verse 2 is that love of the children of God is not on your terms, but God defines it. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. How? How do we know? How do we know? Am I defining or is God defining? How do I know if I'm loving the children of God? When we love God and keep His commandments. So God defines it. This is not the mindset of, I just, you know, I get to pick whoever I just happen to get along with. I'm going to go get them. And so, yeah, I love them. You know, those people over there, yeah, I got warm feelings toward them. They're alright, I love them. That's not the picture here. God defines it. By this we know we love the children of God. That we love God and keep His commandments. He defines it. And when He defines it, He says things that we're not used to. Like forbearance. Forbearance, mercy, patience, long-suffering. It's, it's not, I just go pick people that I like, that I happen to get along with. But these people are different than me. And they even do some things that I'm not sure I agree with. But I'm going to bear with them. I'm going to long-suffer with them. I'm going to help them and love them and be with them. Or other things that we're not used to, like rebuke and correction. Rebuke one another in love. Correct one another in love. Restore one another from sin in love. Or care for one another. Or time with one another. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but time with one another. See, God describes it. So as you think about this test of loving the brethren, you need to let God define that. He, he defines what love for the children of God looks like. But all in all, this is glorious. Think about it. Not only were you a dead person, so many of my brothers and sisters here in Christ Jesus, not only were you a dead person given life, but you were a dead person given life, brought into a relationship with God Almighty who is now Abba Father and with brothers and sisters whom you have a heart to love. That's an amazing thing. I had also new hearts. So not only new eyes, not only new relationships, but a new heart. You see this in verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So this is, this is an example of, of obedience from the heart. And here's why I say from the heart. Because it's not, as I said earlier, you know, you gotta, it's like pulling teeth getting somebody to obey God. It's not like that. This is obedience from the heart. This is glad obedience. This is joyful obedience. It is my joy to obey you, God. It's that kind of obedience. He says... This is the love of God. You keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Not burdensome obedience. It feels like this weight on my shoulders and it's too heavy and I don't really want to do it, but I don't want to go to hell. You understand? Like, this is not what we're talking about. But when somebody's born again, it's not burdensome. They love God. Doesn't mean they don't have struggles. It doesn't mean we don't fight with coldness, but listen, there is a pattern of life, which is I love the living God and I want to obey Him. It makes me think about the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees, they laid heavy burdens on people. Heavy burdens. Hard to bear. But they wouldn't lift a finger to help them with it. Our God's not like that. 
He's not like that. He might lay on the commands. He might lay on the obedience of what He wants us to do. And yet He gives us, He injects life, the life of God in the soul of man. and gives us a heart to want to obey Him. This is what it said over in Ezekiel 36, right? He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. I put my spirit within you and cause you to obey my statutes. One thing I thought about when I read this is this is such a kindness of God to do this. You ever thought about that? Think about how kind it is, how good and kind it is that our God not only wants us to obey Him, but wants us to joyfully obey Him. How kind is that that not only does He want our obedience, but He wants our joy, our happiness, our gladness. He not only wants us to obey Him, but He wants us to take pleasure in what we do. That's good, right? Here's the example I thought. I was sitting with Samuel. We were sitting down uh, having lunch this week with Samuel. Samuel had gotten kind of sick. You know how it is when, when you're trying to eat lunch and you're all stopped up? What happens? You can't taste it, right? And he, I think he was kind of experiencing that for the first time. Dad, I can't taste this food. You know, it was a real problem when Lydia Sullivan cooked. That's a problem. You want to taste that food. And so here he is. And he can't taste the food. He's saying, Daddy, I can't, I can't, I can't taste this food. I said, yes, that's because you're, you're stopped up. you got all this stuff going on. So I know you can't taste it. That's what happens. But so then I started talking. I said, isn't that sweet of the Lord to do that? Like you need food to survive. You need food to maintain your body. You die if you don't eat. But yet God in His goodness not only wants you to eat that food, but He wants you to enjoy it. So He gives you taste buds. <laughs> Glory to God for taste buds. <laughs> And to me, this is the picture. It's, it's just a similar picture that if God wants you to obey, and yet He gives you a heart. He gives you a taste for it. I want this God. I long for it. I love Him. And y'all, this is what it looks like for someone to be born of God. Truly born again. So here we are. So that's the description, verse 1 through 3. The new birth. New eyes. New relationships. A new heart. But then you start thinking, but I'm still in this dark world. I'm still in this sin-soaked, awful, wicked, tempt people, lead them to hell kind of world. I'm still there. And so we get to verse 4 and 5. Verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Verse 4. So what is the world here? We've got to talk quickly. What is the world? You can flip back to chapter 2. Just, just try to think. I want you to try to get a, a summary statement, a thought here about what is the world? You who are born of God have overcome the world. What is the world here? Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to the description. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So here's this idea of an organized system of, of humanity, sinful humanity, and millions of demons. And here's this system, this aim at moving people away from the glory of God and, and adherence to His ways. It's moving people away from that through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's that which is opposed to God. 
And yet it's deceptively opposed to God. It deceives you and draws you to itself. Ch chapter 5, verse 19. It says that we, we know that we are of God and the whole world, there it is, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Lies under the sway of the evil one. Here's this system to draw you away from God, to keep people in its, in its grasp until they go to hell forever. To offer up substitute pleasures. Look at this pleasure. So that you can't see pleasures, eternal pleasures in Christ. The world offers you deceptive lies to take those new eyes and turn them away from the true Christ and lead you to hell. That's the idea. It offers up temptations. The world offers up temptations and sins to draw away that heart we're talking about. So I want you to just think about that. Have you ever worried about that? Have you ever said things or had worries about, yeah, but man, I'm in this world, I'm in this dark world, and it's hard here. Stuff in the world, you know, that lead me astray. Uh, this world has deceived many. This world has lured many. This world has escorted many to hell. Has ever, has ever brought fear to you? Have you ever worried about that? Listen to this. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Yes. I think about the world and leading people astray. Now, I, I, I know that we need to be warned not to love the world. There's no doubt that we as Christians, if you're here and you're born of God, then we need to be warned, don't love the world. That's in chapter 2. But I'm saying you receive that warning with a hope that those born of God overcome this thing. And it's not just in the future. There's an overcoming nature of your life even now over this world. So think about the Christian's relationship with the world. The Christian relationship with the world is overcome, conquered, victory, it says in verse 4. Victory. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. I, I love this. So, so Christians are called many things throughout the Scriptures, right? Christians are called uh, the pillar and ground of the truth. Christians are called the light of the world. Many things that they're called. And right here they're called conquerors, victorious. Overcomers is what they're called. Here, here's the picture I think. It's, it's like, listen to me, church. The world does not have dominion over you. Don't act like it does. This is what happens in Corinthians. When, when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, he writes to a people that are walking in sin and he says to them, you're acting like mere men. And maybe somebody has said, what are, I am a mere man. And he says, no, you're acting like mere men. Don't you know that you will judge the world? Don't you know that you will judge angels? See, he lifts up their vision to see. Don't you see what God has done in you? You're overcomer of the world. Don't let Satan tell you any different than that. The word overcome, is, like I said, is victory. It's conquer. It's, it's conquering. In fact, this would be a good thing to help you remember this. All right, evangelism tool. You ready? The word victory in verse 4 is Nike. So every time you see somebody in Nike shoes, you point to 1 John 5, 4. All right? Evangelism tool right there. It's Nike. It's conquering. So Nike said, just do it. But this says faith. But that's set in your memory from that. Overcoming. Here's the picture of this word. Luke chapter 11. 
Here's the picture. Same, same word used over here in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verse 21 and 22. Listen to this. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. See it there. There he is. He's fully armed, man. He's got his armor on. And he's guarding his goods and his palace and he's at peace. Verse 22. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. I love that. So this picture of those who are born of God have overcome the world. This is a picture of wartime victory. The stronger man overcoming the strong man. If the world is a system at war with God, you live in it. And yet you have access to power that strips of, of its armor and plunders its goods. Now think about people caught up in the world just like me and you were. Caught up in the world and you give them a gospel of Jesus Christ and God rips them out of the world and brings them into the kingdom of the son of his love. You get in there and plunder his goods. You've got access to that kind of power. So we conquer in this world. Christians are conquerors. Now that's because of the regeneration, the mighty work of God in the new birth. Okay. So I want to say something to all my brothers and sisters, all everybody here, especially brothers and sisters that are struggling with I feel heavy. I feel weary. I feel down. I feel discouraged. And maybe it's because of sin. Maybe you feel this way because of sin. I want to encourage you with something. You ready? It's very simple. You're born of God. You have overcome the world. You've been equipped with a new heart to fight sin. You've got to believe that. Don't believe the lies of Satan. You have been equipped with a new heart, the scripture says, to fight sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The world shall not have dominion over you. Sin is a defeated foe in your life. The little humble Christian is given the victory by Jesus Christ. It's done. Charles Leiter, he described it like a, like a tree that's been chopped down. The, the, the green leaves of sin, they might still be green for a time, but they're withering away moment by moment. This is what it's like with you in relation to the world and you in relation to sin. I want you to be encouraged by that. Anybody here struggling like that? With sin? You ever had that thought? I don't, I don't know that I could ever get over this. I don't know that I could ever stop being like this or having this sin. Listen, Christ calls us to walk with Him in holiness and Christ-likeness. And you do not have to believe. Just take this passage and what does it say? New birth, new eyes, new relationships, new heart to obey God. Overcome the world in which you live. Believe it and fight for it. Fight from a place of hope. Amen? Hey, let me close like this. Uh, there might be some people here that are saying, uh, am I born of God? Or maybe you know you're not born of God. But maybe there's some people here, almost always in you know group this size. Am I born of God? Maybe you're asking yourself that. Maybe you're thinking, you know, he's describing somebody born of God there. And um, I mean, either you're, either you're sitting there quietly calling me a liar, calling God's word, I think, a liar. Or you're saying, man, I just, I don't line up with that. I don't line up with that. I don't know that I'm born of God. Well, let me, let me tell you something. 
You're not supposed to sit around in perpetual wondering about that. Am I born of God? Am I born of God? Am I born of God? You're not supposed to do that. You don't stay there. You don't sit there in that sin. You respond to that truth. Okay, You respond. Don't sit in perpetual self-examination. But rather, listen to me. Look to Jesus. Look to Him. Listen. Christ Jesus, He absolutely loves through the preaching of His Word to give the new birth to people. He loves to do that. You know how many times He's done that? You know how many people in this room have been affected by God giving them the new birth? He loves to do that. Christ, he proved it. He proved it in coming into this earth. See, every single one of us deserve nothing but His judgment and hell forever. You know it. You know it to be true. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to rescue. He came to deliver. He came to do a mighty work. And when He came into the world, He went to a cross. And when He goes to the cross, the sins of the people that He saves, they get transferred onto Him. And the wrath of God that's supposed to fall on you, it falls on Jesus instead. Did you hear that? Christ died for sinners. He made a way. He said, I'm the way, truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Me. He made a way through His death on the cross. Dead in a tomb. Proves He's God by rising from the dead. He is raised up. He's alive forevermore. He's alive right now. And you can trust Him. And He calls to you and says, Come. Come all you weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't find it in your false doctrine. You can't find it in this false, false satisfactory world. It's not satisfaction. It will leave you hanging in the end. But rather in Christ who says, come, I give you rest for your souls. And so I plead for anybody here saying, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I'm born again. Come to Christ. What is it about this world? What, are, what, what in the world could you be clinging to in this world that would keep you from Jesus? You know it's all fake, right? Every pleasure of this world is a fake substitute to what, what God says in His Word. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So turn away from the world. Put your hope in Christ. I plead with you that that's you. Let me just leave you with verse 5. To you who I'm just addressing, listen to verse 5. Who is He who overcomes the world Listen, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, come to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. God, I pray that you would use your word to do a work in our lives as your church and to do a work in the world as you rip people out of darkness and bring them to life. God, I pray that if there's anyone here tempted to ignore these things, God, I pray you wake them up and open them in order. Do your work, God, of regeneration. And God, I pray that you fill your people, your church, with fullness of thanksgiving and praise and worship to your name for what you've done in our hearts. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.